Hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, I'm going to read to you a commentary um, based on Charles Spurgeon's sermons. I think um, this is what he said on this particular passage. I'm looking at Genesis chapter 8. And it might not be a commentary per se, but I think what people have done is they've cobbled together um, stuff that he's preached on, uh, especially on this passage, and have just kind of like put it together as kind of like a commentary, verse by verse. So I found this by chance on the internet uh, this morning. I haven't read it yet. I'm going to read it now, now for you live. Uh, just a bit about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, lived from 1834 to 1892 was an English Baptist preacher. He is known as the Prince of Preachers. So he preached a lot, wrote a lot of books and commentaries, uh, very popular in his day, was a pastor of a New Park Street Chapel. Uh, it was later called Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was He was a pastor of that church for 38 years. It's in London. And yeah, he just preached a lot, was very famous in his day, wrote a lot of books. And this is his commentary, well, commentary um, that someone put together based on Genesis chapter 8. And the reason I'm reading this is because I'm kind of like preparing on this passage. I'm going to be speaking on it this coming Sunday. And it's just helpful to read different viewpoints and um, helpful reflections on this passage. It helps me to notice things I haven't seen before. Help me, helps me to just think deeper on some of the themes um, that are uh, brought out by this passage in God's Word. So um, this is Genesis chapter 8, Spurgeon's verse expositions of the Bible. Uh, verse 1, and God remembered Noah. Noah had been shut up in the ark for many a day, and at the right time, God thought of him, practically thought of him, and came to visit him. Dear heart, you have been shut out from the world now for many days, but God has not forgotten you. God remembered Noah, and he remembers you. Uh, verse 1 again, and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. Does God remember cattle? Then he will certainly remember men made in his own image. He will remember you. Though you think yourself the most worthless when on the face of the earth, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. Verse 1 again, And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. Winds and waves are wholly under God's control. I suppose that this was a very drying wind, so the waters began to turn to vapor and gradually to disappear. It was God who sent, who sends the winds. They seem most volatile and irregular, but God sends them to do his bidding. Blow it east or blow it west, the wind comes from God. And whether the waters increased or are assuaged, it is God's doing. And the waters very deep within you, Dear friend, God can dry them up. And singularly enough, he can stop one trouble with another. He can dry up the water with the wind. I've known him very strangely with his people. And when they thought they were quite forgotten, he has proved that he remembered them. And both the winds of heaven and the waters of the sea have had to work their good. This is not an angel in heaven, but God will make him to be a servant to you if you need him. There is not a wind in any quarter of the globe, but God will guide it to you if it is necessary. And there are no waves of the sea, but shall obey the Lord's will concerning you. 
verse 2. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rains from heaven was restrained. God works upwards and stops the windows of heaven. He works downwards and stays the breaking up the fountains of the deep. Uh, I think he's quoting something. He everywhere hath sway and all things serve his might. Be not afraid. He can open the windows of heaven and pour down the abundant blessings on you. And he can let down the cellar flaps of the great deep and stop its flowing fountains. Again, another quote, when he makes bare his arm, what shall his work withstand? Genesis 8 verse 3, And the waters return from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. God told Noah when to go into the ark, but he did not tell him when he should come out again. The Lord told Noah when to go in, for it was necessary for him to know that. But he did not tell him when he should come out, for it was unnecessary that he should know that. God always lets his people know what is practically for their good. There are many curious points on which we should like to have information, but God has not revealed it, and he has not revealed anything. We had better not try to unravel that ministry. No good comes from prying into unrevealed truth. No one knew that he would come out of the ark one day, for he was not preserved there to be a seed to keep the race alive. Noah was not told when he should be released, and the Lord does not tell you when your trouble will come to an end. It will come to an end. Therefore, wait and be patient, and do not want to know the time of your deliverance. We should know too much if we knew all that will happen in the future. It is quite enough for us if we do our duty in the present and trust God for the rest. Still, I think that Noah must have been very pleased when he felt the ark grating at last on the mountains of Ararat. He could not build a cook for his big ship, but God had prepared a berth for it on the mountainside. Now as he looked out, he could see, here and there, a mountaintop rising like an island out of the great expanse of water. Verse 6, And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro, uh, sometimes alighting on the ark, then flying away again. Verse 7, Until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the earth. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her feet, and she returned to him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into him, onto him into the ark, and he stayed yet another seven days. I wonder whether Noah sent out these creatures on the Sabbath mornings. The mention of seven days and the resting in between seems to look like it. Oh, dear friends, sometimes people send out a raven on the Lord's Day morning and it never brings them anything. 
Send out a dove rather than a raven. Come to the house of God with quiet, gentle, holy expectation, and your dove will come back to you. It may be that it will bring you something worth bringing one of these days, as Noah's dove brought to him. It's interesting. This is, again, Spurgeon's take on the difference between the raven and the dove. The raven, you know, it's not something that is gentle like the dove. The raven, it's a scavenger. And I guess sending out this dove is symbolic of sending up, you know, expectations of God's peace and um, quiet, gentle, holy expectation, he calls it. And he says the dove will come back to you. Interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, picking up from verse 10. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came to him in the morning, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. Olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. The waters were abated as far as the fruit trees, not only the tallest forest trees, but some of the fruit trees were uncovered from the water. The dove had plucked off an olive leaf. Perhaps you've seen a picture of a dove carrying an olive branch in its mouth, which in the first place a dove could not pluck out of the tree, and in the second place a dove could not carry an olive branch even if she could pluck it off. It was an olive leaf. <laughs> that, is, that is all. Why cannot people keep the words of Scripture? If the Bible mentions a leaf, they make it a bow, and if the Bible says it a bow, they make it a leaf. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, he's so particular about the detail that um, he's just carrying a leaf, not a branch, not a not anything else. Verse twelve. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. Noah could read something from that leaf that the dove brought to him, but he learned more when she did not. She did not return to him. He knew that she had found a proper resting place and that the earth was clear of the flood. Verse 13, And it came to pass in the 601st year and in the first month and the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. Actually, if I go back to the last comment, that's interesting. So the reason why Spurgeon says the, the dove did not return to him is because it found a resting place. So the dove did not need to come back to um, this ark to Noah. Interesting, interesting. I never noticed that before, but that, that's, there's probably some, some truth in that. Anyway, verse 13. This was happy New Year's Day for Noah. He was glad to find himself at rest once more, though not yet at liberty. Verse 13. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Why did not Noah come out? Well, you see, he had gone in by the door, and he meant to come out by the door, and that he opened the door for him and shut him in, must now open the door for him and let him out. He waits for God's time, and we are always wise in doing that. You lose a great deal of time by being in a hurry. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a very profound statement. You lose a lot of time by being in a hurry. And his point is that Noah was waiting for God. He was not in a hurry to hear from God's word. Many people think that they've done a great deal when they've done really done nothing. Better take time in order to save time. Slow is sometimes faster than fast. <laughs> I like that. Slow is sometimes faster than fast. So Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked out, but he did not go out till God commanded him to do so. Verse 14. 
And in the second month, nearly two months, Noah waited for the complete drying off of the earth. Verse 14, on the seventh, seven and twentieth day of the month was the earth dried. So the 27th day of the month of February. The face of the ground was dry in the first month. The earth was dried the second month. Noah might have thought it was dry enough before, but God, God did not think so. There was enough mud to breathe a pestilence. So Noah must wait until God made the earth ready for him. So um, so I guess uh, he, he is investing uh, some thought into why uh, God did not tell Noah to leave until the 27th of the second month. He says that there would be mud <laughs> to breed pestilence or disease uh, that, that Spurgeon's take on the delay. Verse 15, And God spoke unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. Noah must wait till God speaks to him. Oh, that some people would wait for God's command, but they will not. He shall bless thy going out and thy coming in, if thou wilt go forth and come in when he beats thee. Go forth, says the Lord, go forth of the ark. Verse 16, Thou and thou, thy wife, interesting in the Old English, Thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee, Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds went forth out of the ark. This was a very wonderful procession. It was the new beginning of everything upon the earth. Whatever evolution or any other folly or evil of man may have done, everything had to begin again over. Uh, everybody was drowned save these great fathers of the new age and all must begin from this stock. Yeah, good point. So these were the only human survivors. So like the new humanity would be birthed from this new subset of that initial humanity, just eight people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Verse 20, and Noah built it an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Common sense would have said, spare them for you will want every one of them. That's a good point, right? I mean, he's kind of like saved all these animals, but he now, he's not sacrificing these animals <laughs> on the altar. It says, you know, common sense would say, you know, you need, you need every single one of them to repopulate the earth. But, but grace said, slay them for they belong to God. Give Jehovah his due. I have often admired that widow of Sarepta, when she had but a handful of meal, she made a little cake for God's prophet first, but then God multiplied her meal and her oil. Oh, that we would but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things should be added unto us. Out of the small stock he had, Noah took of the clean beasts and of the clean fowls and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Noah's faith was pleasing to God. It was Noah's confidence in a bleeding sacrifice that gave him acceptance with the Lord. God thought upon his son and that great sacrifice to be offered long afterward on the cross, and he smelled a sweet savor. 
Verse 21, And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I've done. So that's interesting that, you know, that phrase imagination of man's heart, like your, your heart is imagining things that he says here is evil from our youth. I think the NIV has the inclinations, the tendencies, but imaginations means you're almost thinking up um, actions and thoughts and directions in life that are evil, that are against uh, God's character. Uh, so the comment uh, from Spurgeon, God always speaks comfortable words to those who bring an acceptable sacrifice. If you would hear the voice of a divine promise, go to the atoning blood of Jesus. If you know what perfect reconciliation means, his to the altar where the great sacrifice was presented. Verse 22, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. They never have ceased. We have this year. He have this year had a long and dreary winter. It looked as if spring would never come. Only a few days ago, the chestnuts were just beginning to turn green. I think Spurgeon's describing the weather in his day. So it was a long winter and then now chestnuts are turning green. And he says, and then there came the little spikes, and now you can see them in full flower. How faithfully God fulfills his covenant with the earth. How truly he will keep his covenant with every believing sinner or trustee in him for his promise will stand fast forever. Um, interesting. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I'll stop there. Um, interesting. Yeah, very short and sweet, very helpful. I think just commenting on all the big themes in this passage, uh, beginning with God, remembering Noah, you know, and, and he, very pastoral Spurgeon. He says, you know, God will remember you. You know, if God can remember Noah. If God can remember the, the animals, you know, he will remember you. And that, that's very helpful. God sending the wind to, to assuage the waters, um, to kind of calm the waters. And he says, describing this waters that had covered the earth and that almost judged the earth. And he says, you can calm the waters, the floods, you know, the storms in your heart. God can send his wind. God can send his spirit to do that. That's very helpful. Um, also, this uh, waiting period, 150 days, actually probably altogether uh, like a year. You know, the flood started in Noah's 600th year and 601st year. Only then did Noah exit the ark. But in between, there was a lot of waiting. And he describes how Noah sends out these two birds, the raven and the dove. And this is Spurgeon's take on things, you know, that raven is the scavenger. He says, send out the dove. I'm not, sh I'm not sure about that, but that's Spurgeon's take on this. It's kind of like um, a seeking of God's blessing, you know, God's signal that he's meant to, you know, that, that things are okay. Uh, I like how he notices this seven day, seven day, seven day period when he sends the raven, sends the dove, sends the dove again, uh, talking about, you know, um, this kind of like weekly period of seven days in between. And he postulates that he does this on the Lord's day. And, and you know, that there's, there's a theme there. I, I never noticed that before. Uh, but also with the dove, uh, the dove picking up the olive leaf, finding life that's come back to the earth, the dove leaving and not coming back, finding rest upon the earth. I like that. I've never noticed that before. 
And then Noah waiting for God, even when he can see with his own eyes that the ground is dry, he waits for God's word to say that it is safe to exit the ark. And um, um, yeah, Spurgeon makes the point to say that it was God who said when to enter the ark and it was God who said when he should exit the ark. In both cases, God's word comes. In both cases, Noah is obedient to God's word, not just what he sees, but what he hears from God. Finally, Noah builds this altar um, as a sign of thanksgiving, sign of worship before God. Animals are killed. So I think already there are overtones there of the sacrifice that Noah needs for his own salvation. So everyone else is judged. Everyone else is dead. He is alive. But for him to be alive, something still needs to die. And he sacrifices these animals. And uh, <laughs> it's very funny, again, that Spurgeon says he sacrifices the clean animals. You know, these are the animals he saved. <laughs> and they're meant to repopulate the earth. But he's willing to sacrifice them. He says, common sense would say you need every single one of them. Why are you killing them? And he says, you know, these belong to God. And so give unto God what belongs to God. And in the end, God returns, you know, responds to that sacrifice by smelling a sweet savor. And uh, it pleased God. This was sweet towards God's nostrils. He pleased God to receive this sacrifice that comes from Noah. And he responds with this blessing. He says, never again, never again will I curse the ground and there will be seasons to mark the continuation of this blessing. And so that's how Spurgeon ends. He says, you just look at the seasons, see how things might have been bad, but they're good again. And there's almost that expectation of this rhythm that uh, as bad as things are, you know, God will bring about his blessing. And that's just a reminder of God's faithfulness through these cycles, through these seasons, that he will never forget his promise to hold back the judgment that we receive but I think just to finish that thought until the final judgment that comes to Christ that has been dealt with through Christ on the cross. So there's a kind of faithfulness, long-term faithfulness that God will withhold judgment, but finally it's because he pours it out on Jesus and therefore he can give us that full salvation that comes through the sacrifice of his son. Yeah, very, very helpful, very clear, very short and pithy Spurgeon's commentary on Genesis chapter 8. Thanks for listening. Take care and God bless.